What's up, everybody? I'm Steph. And I'm Mari. We are two licensed professional counselors in the state of Wisconsin, and this is the Rewriting Her Story podcast, a mindset podcast for everyone. Here we'll discuss daily issues we face ourselves, struggles our clients are having, and ways to tackle everyday life, and whatever else comes up. We take a no-bullshit approach while still being empathetic and supportive. Let's Let's fucking fucking go. go. Go, 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 go. (laughs) Wasn't loud enough. And scene. <laughs> Anyways, welcome back. Still in our hoodies. Still sale. If yes. you would like one, soup come co's soup. Wonderful. Like I feel like I'm. I got a hug. I'm in a Same. hug. Now. Like I just want to lay on the couch and like snuggle with my sweatshirt. <laughs> I do. And, and like blanket. I don't need a blanket. I just have this. Like I don't. Well, even I want to have. I want to have a blanket and then open the windows. <laughs> You know, because it's going to be chilly, but it's going to feel like good spring air. Yes. Uh, maybe not today, though, because it is It's late. cold out. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's supposed to be full sun on Sunday and 35. I was like, okay, just put it up a little bit, though. I mean, hey, I'm here for the full sun. Yep. I'm here for it. All right. Episode 55. Yes. <laughs> I had to look at it like, shit, is it? Like, we literally just talked about it's it. Literally in front of me. ADHD. I hope you can hear the papers rustling. Yes. ASMR. <laughs> Anyways, episode 55. Today we are going to talk about a subject, and I mean today we, me, are going to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart. So there are many different modes of therapy that you can do with somebody. You can do dialectical behavioral therapy. You can do cognitive behavioral therapy. You can do um, family systems, family systems, centered, strength-based, brief solution, focused, motivational interviewing. And those all work for different things. And they all have their populations that they work best with or best Mm -hmm. served. So uh, there is a trauma mode of therapy called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So I am certified in EMDR. You have to become certified. So some of those other um, modes of therapy we talked about, anybody can study it and kind of pick it up. You can also become certified in it because Steph and I will both be certified DBT therapists uh, by summer. Yes. Um, and I'm saying that right now so that somebody holds me accountable to get that training done because yikes, I haven't even finished my ADHD one. I'm like an hour away. But her soccer game practices went away. So then I stopped doing it. And now I'm like, Mari, Monday, you're it's over with. You have time. You're doing it. Anyways, whatever. Can't wait for this to come out and maybe like, yeah, I already submitted my certification. So EMDR, you have to be certified to do it. Mm-hmm. So I came, I went and got certified in December or started in September of 2019 and then finished in December. So you go for a three-day training, you take a break for three months because you're trying to um, implement the things and tools and trips and tricks that you've learned. And then you come back for the remaining training, which is like more so of EMDR with um, specific populations. And then like how to go forward or maybe how to um, tailor it to maybe what your client needs. So EMDR is a process where it uses bilateral stimulation of the brain to reprocess traumatic memories. So when I'm saying bilateral stimulation, it's using your left and right brain. So typically, traditionally, EMDR 
was where somebody's hand would go back and forth in front of your eyes and you would follow their hand or their fingers or three fingers. It just kind of depends on what people like. Typically I would use my whole hand. I would, I would do this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, let me know what you're, what are you seeing? Do you see my message? Do you see, you my see message? it? Can you, can you see it? But typically, so you're sitting um, like ships in the night was her favorite saying was the the um, trainer's favorite saying. So basically, I'm sitting here and my client's face would be like right here. Not that we would be that close, but like they're I'm not, not parallel to one another. Yeah, right? I'm like not, you're not sitting, sitting directly face to face. in front of. Yeah. So I'm sitting off to the side and my hand is the thing that is parallel with my client. And so then you're just following it. So you're following it with your eyes, not your whole head. You're not shaking. Yes. Um, so you're following it. And as you do that, it reprocesses the traumatic memory because the therapist is the person who is walking you through the already predetermined memories chosen to be reprocessed. So typically people seek out EMDR when they have had traumatic experiences in their life. I think the interesting thing that I liked was that it doesn't have to like, so the, the trauma and how you might remember it doesn't have to be actually what happened. So that was really cool, right? Because mm -hmm. obviously over time, our memories change as we mm -hmm. continue to pull them out and look at them. Our memories are changing. So it doesn't even matter if it was like a perceived threat. Um, and somebody was like, well, I almost lost my life. Yep. It doesn't matter what my thought is about it. It matters how that person has internalized it. So I thought that was really interesting. So you come to a EMDR therapist and you choose these certain memories to reprocess. Usually traumatic memories could be anywhere from something as small as um, my cat went crazy and attacked me uh, or like to a car accident or sexual abuse or, you know, sustained emotional abuse too. Something that isn't necessarily going to um, hurt you if it sounds like, God, you're so stupid, but over a sustained period of time, that definitely wears somebody's, um, self-worth down. And when we say like small or big or big T or little T trauma, that's not to invalidate the experience. Correct. That's just the verbiage that we use to differentiate between events that were, you know, like humongous versus events that maybe were a one-time thing that didn't have such a big impact. Right. Like that's how yes. you explain it. Okay. Absolutely. And again, it doesn't matter my interpretation yes. of your trauma it matters if you if you if your cat attacked you and you felt like you were gonna fucking die then that's that's what we go with we don't mm -hmm. go with me being like well how big was your cat like sure. and how big are you how and likely like, how, was it that you were how die? old was the cat did the cat yeah. have nails like it's not we're not doing this victim shaming shit did the like, cat have you, a gun yeah <laughs> if you thought the cat was gonna fucking murder you then done <laughs> point blank period i'm like that cat was gonna kill you like <laughs> So it doesn't matter how I internalize it yes. as your therapist. So we come, we go through this scenario of like setting up these memories to reprocess. So typically they say you either start with the first or the worst. Hmm. How it was explained to me is that your brain is like a tree system, right? And so the roots are where the memories are stored. So if we're not necessarily going with the first or the worst, you could potentially be clearing part of the root, but then there's still some down here. So not that it has the chance to like re-traumatize you with a new traumatic memory, but there's still going to be some of that lingering emotional pull sure. and it's not going to clear all the way. The same way if you start EMDR and don't see it through to the finish, it's not going to be effective. It's not like right. talk therapy where you're coming and maybe you've come to a resolution at the end of this the, the semester, at the end of the session, um, 
and and you're like okay i feel like i have a, a somewhere to go with this the emdr isn't always like that and i'll talk a little bit more about that later so you start with the first or the worst so um typically i like to leave it up to the client as to what their interpretation of the first or the worst is um however so that's pretty much like what i let them choose but i as the clinician am the person who gets to choose whether or not we actually do it sure what would so be a reason that you would not follow through with it so if I notice that a client does not have an adequate support system or adequate coping skills, or they're like in the frying pan right now, I'm not going to add more fuel to the fire by starting EMDR. Sure. You have to be in a somewhat decent headspace to be able to start. And so I understand that there's always going to be something in life that is coming up, right? We give merit though and put more pressure like we we assign how much energy we're going to give something sure. do you know what i'm saying like so yes your job may be stressful as shit but there may also never be a time where your job isn't stressful sure. so we have to understand how much merit am i going to give to this stressful job when i know that a lot of my stress at my work is being triggered by the past traumas that i've had mm-hmm. so yes this is stressful however this is creating more stress so i want to start reprocessing but like if someone comes to me and is like well i don't have enough food to feed my family i'm about to be evicted Um, I don't have a job and like, I really just need to get through this trauma. Like you're on fire and Mm -hmm. I'm not adding fuel to that fire. That's not an appropriate time to start EMDR. It's pretty unethical. Yes. And I've had to turn people away. I've had to say like, I would really like for us either to really work on coping skills first and get you somewhat stable and then we can start EMDR or I would like you to be doing XYZ with your therapist. Cause that's the, the other thing is that you can have two therapists for Like I can be your EMDR therapist and someone could go see you stuff. So like, while then I would be communicating with your therapist of like, mm-hmm. Hey, I really want you to work on, you know, maybe these coping skills or challenging cognitive errors with them because some of those things come up when we're reprocessing and EMDR isn't talk therapy. Well, and I think it's important to note, and this is kind of a generalized statement, but typically in therapy, having two therapists at once is not encouraged. It's not encouraged because a lot of things can get um, lost in translation and muddled and things can be used inappropriately, but this is Mm -hmm. something completely different, right? Like if we were sharing a client and I've done this before, right? I've referred people for EMDR. I am working on the core things that are going on, right? So Mm -hmm. teaching them coping skills, teaching them distress tolerance, teaching them emotional regulation skills. So then when they go in to do the trauma work, it's not so not traumatizing, but jarring, so overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah. So there's that. So when people come in, then we set up the first or the worst, we start to reprocess. I typically, before I start reprocessing, do a couple of EMDR coping skills with them, which would be like safe place or calm place, whatever word verbiage you like to use, um, light stream or the spiral staircase. It just kind of depends on what the person likes. I've had a lot of people really like light stream and maybe we'll eventually do that as like a PS episode where it's like a calming technique that you can go back to Um, or spiral staircase because honestly, now that I think about light stream, it's kind of, you have to, it's interactive. So wouldn't necessarily record well. 
Anyways, so you, I do a couple of those EMDR coping skills with them, teaching them that, and then we move on to reprocessing. So what reprocessing looks like, again, is that I, the facilitator, am going to help walk this person through the trauma that we've set up. And so we're setting it up in the sense that there are the way that trauma gets stored in our body as a negative, it's a negative cognition about ourselves. So somebody who might have been physically abused, um, their thought process might be like, it was my fault. I put myself in that situation. I should have, you know, blah, 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 blah. So then I say, well, what does that say about you as a person? Well, like I am not responsible or, or I am not um, cautious or I, I am not safe. And so then we attempt to find, not attempt, we do, we find what would be the positive cognition? What would you prefer to believe about yourself instead of this negative cognition? So then I ask how, how true does that positive cognition feel now before we start any of the reprocessing? They rate it, which helps me through our process to see where the rating is. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them to rate how disturbing the the memory feels to them now. So usually it's like on a scale of one to 10, the um, how true does the cognition feel is on a scale of one to seven. I don't know why, but whatever. Mm -hmm. So on the scales, then that's what helps kind of determine like where we are in our reprocessing um, of whether it still has this emotional pull for somebody. So, and then we reprocess after we've got it to the point where it maybe feels like, okay, we're at a zero. Sometimes it's not a zero. Sometimes it's a one because of this um, understanding that it feels like I can't give this memory a rating of zero because it's not, it happened to me and sure. I can't, I can't take that away and I undo it. Yeah. And saying zero feels dismissive or like a disservice. Like, like I'm saying like, oh, it doesn't matter. So there's, there's that, that you can allow, or there's like a blocking belief that you might have to set aside or another memory coming in that you might have to container again. And that, that would be something separate to reprocess. Um, so then you, the last part of the reprocessing is that it. Um, trauma is stored in your body as well. So your body remembers. So you have to then uh, help them remove the trauma from their body. And so sometimes it can look like crazy things have happened, right? And I don't, this, this is not typical. I've reprocessed with a lot of people. I've never had anybody do any of these things. However, like some people throw up, some people pass out, some people scream, some people like just fall out and lose control of their body. Mm -hmm. Like those things do happen. I have had, had, I have had people have weird arm twitches or leg twitches until we reprocess the memory out of their body that their leg just kind of goes into like a shaking or a bouncing or their hands do movements. It just kind of depends on what they're going through. Um, but typically it's usually gone by the time that we, well, it has to be gone by the time that we're reprocessing. Otherwise we wouldn't consider that a successful reprocess. Sure. So reprocessing a memory can take anywhere from 20 minutes or 20 sessions. It just sure. kind of depends on how, how, I think a naive statement would be like how much you want that to be gone. But like, part of me feels like that also does drive the process of like how ready you are for this change to sure. take but like also the severity and how you determine the severity of that situation, right? Like, so somebody who maybe had repeated sexual abuse over a 10 year period, it's not like that is not going to be gone 
in a session. Like that's going right. to take some time to reprocess. It's also going to take us some time to build up those coping skills to make sure that you're okay to go into reprocessing. So there's no time frame, right? There's no suspected like, oh, okay, like this is, you know, get three sessions and you're out of here. Um, so that that is reprocessing. So then we store in the positive cognition and marry it with the, the rating that you're giving it of like, okay, a seven, I feel really solid in this positive cognition. I definitely feel this. I think the other thing to point out is that EMDR is bringing an understanding uh, of your adult self and your adult brain to what happened. Um, and so a lot of the times I'm reprocessing childhood trauma, but also you can reprocess, um, like emergency protocol, like if somebody is to get into a car accident and it's really horrific and they're having flashbacks, like we're just bringing your rational brain now that is out of the trauma to that situation. Sure. So it's not just like your adult brain too, but it's, it's your rational brain. So the interesting thing is we were doing the anxiety masterclass. And so I was like looking up how EMDR like works in the brain, right? And like what it actually does, right? Cause I knew it was the bilateral stimulation. So um, bilateral stimulation. Again, you can use your hand. People have light bars. I have TheraTappers and um, the headphones that do the dinging in the different ears or the TheraTappers are like little paddles that you hold and they buzz in each hand. Um, so it uses bilateral stimulation, but I went a little bit further. So the left side is being prevented. The left side of your brain is being prevented from soothing your right side. So the bilateral stimulation helps prevent um, helps release that area that's been stuck and helps allow um, the left side to then soothe the right side. So um, what is interesting is, so when traumatic things are happening, your limbic system comes online. It's the part of your brain that lights up and becomes activated, releasing stress responses. And so cortisol is released. And so the amygdala then tells the adrenal glands to produce more adrenaline. And that's where we start to get in this fight, fight, please, fawn responses. So what happens is your amygdala can assist in learning about the situation, but because you are so stressed out, that cortisol shuts down your hippocampus, which then skews the way that the trauma was remembered. So instead of being able to be like, okay, like I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. Like I can, you know, it wasn't my responsibility to keep myself safe, you know, blah. And like, then you can have that understanding. Like you, you know, I was a kid. I should have kept myself out of that situation. I'm at fault. It, you know, I put myself in that mm -hmm. situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So by using EMDR, it helps that part of your hippocampus stay open while you're reprocessing to help refile that trauma with more understanding as to what happened. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that is EMDR. I think it is one of the coolest experiences when I was getting trained, you have to um, go through reprocessing something yourself. And so I chose uh, my daughter when she was younger, when she was 11 months, had a febrile seizure. And at that time, we didn't know it was febrile seizures. So she had one at 11 months and then one again at um, 13, almost 14 months. So there's like a three month um, difference in between. And febrile seizures are when you're, the fever gets out of control and your body has a seizure to um, bring the fever down, calm yourself down. I don't really know how that works. I'm not a medical doctor. So that, I mean, Google it. So 
she had a seizure and I was the person who was home alone with her. My husband at the time was um, at an army training. And so I, when I would remember or recall this memory, it would feel like I was right in that trauma again. It would feel like I, all of those emotions that I had that night when it happened were brought right back to the surface. I could remember everything. And it was more, it was like, um, going in blips, right. And like, like, um, flickers of like movie screens of like how it happened and like what, what I did and what was going on. So, um, I reprocessed that because it started to turn into, to compulsions for me. Right. Like, so I started to ask my daughter anytime that she wasn't like in my eyesight or that I, like it, she sounded funny. I would ask her if she was okay. Or I'd be like, so if you're okay. Um, and it started to get to the point where I was asking her like every five minutes, it was just getting to the point where it was really not like causing a giant rift in my life, but it, to the point where she was like, mom, why do you keep asking me? Mm-hmm. Like, Cause it was, she was like five or six, I, 19 minutes, 20. Yeah. She was like five, four or five. And so she would ask me like, why are you asking me, mom? Like, I'm, you just asked me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh shit, I did. Whoops. <laughs> like, so when I went to reprocess it, um, I had come like the way that my brain led me through the process is that I had come to have this understanding and empathy for that. I was so scared. Like I was so scared in that moment because I'm not a person who is really, um, effective in emergency situations like that. Like I can handle mental health and trauma all day long, but when it's like a medical trauma and like something medically has to be done because it's out of my control, I get so like worked up. So it had come that I just had like empathy and understanding and um, feeling like, not that I was responsible, but feeling like I could have done more. I should have done more. I should have known or whatever it may be. So I reprocessed it and come, came to the understanding of just having this empathy for myself and how scared I was. And so now instead of viewing that memory as like, I'm in it, I can, I view it like it's a picture or like a movie, like I'm watching it happen. Mm -hmm. And so instead of like flickers, I can, I can watch the whole memory go by, like doing the EMDR brought back some of those pieces where maybe my brain um, compartmentalized it because it was a very stressful, traumatic moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So now it's like a movie and I could run through the whole thing as to what happened and like what went on and how I felt. And, um, it's, it's wild because it was 20 minutes, 20 minutes of something that I had carried for four years that I was just like, okay, enough. Mm -hmm. So it was really cool. I started then the second time we went back, we had to start again and I started working on my flight anxiety, but that is to be continued. (laughs) You know how we talk a lot about, you know, when clients are not ready to change, we have to have those difficult conversations, right? Of like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. This, I feel like is a much more sensitive topic. So what happens when you are working with a client and the EMDR is not working because they are just not there yet? Like, how do you talk to them about it? I just have a conversation with them and help them to understand that there's no right or wrong time to do EMDR. And there, it's just because you might not be ready to fully go into the emotions of the trauma, because that is the purpose of EMDR. You have to bring that that memory up, you have to recall Mm -hmm. it and you have to be in it Mm -hmm. to reprocess it. You have to feel those emotions again. I can't re-traumatize you. I can't, I can't fuck up the memory even more. It's just like, you have to feel that. And sometimes people aren't ready for that and that's okay. But it's having that like empathetic conversation of like, it's okay if you're not ready right now. I understand Mm -hmm. that it's creating a lot of stress and anxiety for you. 
what is going to cultivate more stress and anxiety is you forcing yourself to do something that you're not ready for yet. So how do we work on putting out some of the hypervigilance or the, the, um, um, like somatic symptoms. How do we get mm-hmm. some coping skills for those things that are like bringing up everyday life? Like you constantly have a stomach ache, you constantly have a migraine, you constantly have these things. And we know that there's no medical issues going on. That really is probably, you know, symptomology of your trauma. Let's, let's work on those things first and getting more stable coping skills in a rotation before then we start again, it's always sure. going to be there. And that's what I like, let them know. It's like, it's always going to be there. This is, this is a journey you could take at any point in your life. It's not like you only have this window. Mm-hmm. And my only other question was, you know, we know how it feels to work in a highly acute and stressful job, right? We used to hear like literally the most horrific stories ever and it involved children and that takes an emotional toll. Does doing EMDR take a similar emotional toll or is it very, are you more in your rational brain when doing it? Because like, you know how the process works. That makes sense. For me or for the client? For you. No. I would say that it cultivates more of a response. Okay. And so you have to be very mindful about how you engage your interact. So you're seeing people at their worst. Sure. Like, like, sure. People can call it memories and, and discuss like in an intake session of like some of the things that they went through, but like, I'm watching them relive it. Mm-hmm. Like they are literally going through it. And so like there have been many, many times like there, I was, I, did EMDR with a client and we were reprocessing some very, very, very heavy stuff. And there are moments, ma'am, where I was like, don't fucking cry. Don't fucking cry. Don't fucking cry. Cause it's just, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that will ever get, I don't think I'll ever get used to that as trauma, right. Of like understanding how awful the world can be. I don't yeah. think that that will ever shock me. Or, or like, I won't ever be shocked by it. Like, mm-hmm. I think I've heard the worst. And then somebody comes in and is like, hold my beer. Like, mm-hmm. And it's like, holy shit. But I, that's, that's why I've always wanted to do trauma work. That's mm-hmm. why I, I love EMDR because it helps, it helps remove the emotional pull from the memory. Right. So in the, the grand scheme of things, the reason people do EMDR is that, so they don't have that emotional pull from the memory. I'm not erasing the memory. The memory will still be there. It's, there is, you develop an understanding. You're not controlled by it anymore. Correct. You develop an understanding and then you're able to file it in your brain properly, mm-hmm. more effectively than how it has been stored. And so I, I love what I do so that people understand that they're not alone in this and that this doesn't have to be their burden forever. It doesn't have to be your entire identity. Um, so there the people do, I do EMDR in person. That's how I prefer to do it. Sometimes people can disassociate um, because you are going into traumatic um, memories and there might have been disassociation in those um, memories that they're reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And so they might disassociate. So then that way, if I, they're in person, I have the ability to recall them and bring them back of like, okay, your feet are on the ground, you know, look at your hand, how, like, what age is your hand and like, look around the room, find one thing that's blue. Like, so being able to get them back, um, I have never had to do that with somebody. So I know that could probably sound really scary, but I've never had to do that with somebody. And I've had some people who've had some pretty significant trauma. So it's not, that is, far and few between, I would say. Sure. Um, so, but some people do it over, um, telehealth. Uh, I, I don't, but some people do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that too, if you're living in kind of a, um, rural area that you could find somebody online who does it as well. Sure. Um, but make sure they're certified. 
um, do not be afraid to ask for the certification um, or just to see their certificate. Uh, I have mine on my wall so people can see it just because it's a very, very, very heavy, sensitive topic and mm -hmm. something you're trusting somebody with. And so you want to make sure that they are doing qualified. what they're doing or that they're qualified to do yeah. it. So by all means, you are the, the client, you're the one who's ready. And if at any point in time you go into EMDR and you think you're ready and then recognize that you're not, it is 1000% okay for you to say, I'm not ready for this. Mm -hmm. And I need to put a pause on this. Yep. Your the therapist might question you a little bit and ask you like, okay, what's going on? What's showing up for you? But realistically, you are in the driver's seat. I can't force somebody to do EMDR. Even if I think it would be best for them, I, I can say that, but like they have to choose to want to do it. Mm -hmm. I can't be like, this is what we're doing. Right. So, yeah. I love EMDR, man. It's so good. So, if you guys have any questions about it, feel free to message me. I am at BEA underscore XO11. Any other questions, concerns, comments, let's talk. Steph is at SpookyFitMom13. We are at Rewriting Her Story Podcast. We are at RewritingHerStoryPodcast at gmail.com and Rewriting Her Story Podcast on YouTube. So if you have any topics you want covered, let us know. We would love to answer any questions that you have. Um, other than that, We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.